Well, good morning, everyone. That's the... Uh, I'm going to have to retrain myself because that next week it'll have to be good afternoon, right? So if you show up, I guess next week, if you show up at 930, you might be worshiping with another another uh, group here. So we'll be here at 1230. Is that correct? Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Well, before we get to our scripture reading, and I apologize, we'll have, if you're okay, waiting for just a bit, have a couple things that I'd like to talk about. Um Today we're going to talk about something kind of interesting. I found it very, it was wonderful how John put the, the, Pastor John put the songs together about how, do you believe that there is nothing, truly nothing that God can't do? Right? But today we're going to talk about the fear factor. Not always an easy thing to deal with. So we have the fear factor. Do you guys remember the show called The Fear Factor. It aired back in 2001, something like that. I don't know how many seasons they had, but uh, I like to call it The Gross Factor. Because I don't know if you remember watching that show. Basically, it was based on the premise that people had to face their worst fears, right? And it usually involves something nasty they had to eat or something they had to go, you know, step off the ledge or whatever it was. So the question this morning for us is, what are you afraid of? What brings fear to your life? Because as we've been taught through Scripture, fear is from Satan. Fear is from Satan. So what are we afraid of? Might be our health. Might be a loved one dying might be losing our job. Are there things to be afraid of right now in the midst of our church going on, right? Looking for a pastor, don't know where we're going to meet. There's a lot of fear. And I don't know about you, but our society right now is really pushing fear. I mean, we're just kind of coming out on the tail end of COVID and there's a lot of fear involved, a lot of unknown, a lot of angst, a lot of anxiety. So how do we deal with fear? I remember my wife and I went through a period of time at one point that we were, um, we didn't have a lot of money, put it that way. Uh, it had gotten to a point, this was way back when we first got married, it had gotten to a point where, I don't know if you've ever been there, but basically there was either food on the table or you paid the phone bill. Guess which one won out, right? It was difficult times. And... Right about that point, we found out that we were pregnant with our first, and I got laid off of a job. My boss came in, he called me in, he said, I want your job for a friend of mine. See you later. And <laughs> if you've never experienced that, it strikes fear, especially in a man's heart when he's trying to provide for his family with an upcoming baby what do I do? So today we're going to do a character study, which I absolutely love because I love looking at, at how God works through the people in Scripture because I can say, hey, I can relate to them. These are real people. They go through similar things that I do. 
So we're going to see how we deal with fear. And there's three primary elements that I'd like you to see. And that is, one, we need to understand God's perception of you. Two, we need to trust in his promises and his character. And three, we need to step out in faith and fulfill his purpose for our lives. This is how we deal with fear. So if you're going to underline any of your notes, it's perception, promise, and purpose. Now, before we read scripture, I want to set the scene for this scripture. Uh, This is when God comes to Gideon and starts talking to him about rescuing the Israelites. Well, why did they need rescue? Well, the Midianites and the Amalekites and there were other Eastern people, they would come in and they conquest, they were, they were conquesting over Israel. They were taking over Israel. And how they would do it is not necessarily in a, a format of a formal battle necessarily. They would just come in, as it says uh, in verse 5, like a swarm of locusts. There were so many of them, you couldn't even count them all, and they would come in and decimate the crops, destroy all of the food. And Israel was living up in caves up in the hills because these folks would come in and just totally wipe out an area, and then they'd move out, and you'd go back and try to plant something, and then they'd come in and wipe it out again, and it put Israel into object poverty. So we have to ask, why was Israel in this mess? Where were they at? And we can go back. Uh, we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 6, but when we look at the first verse, we see that the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They had turned away from God. However, God's answer, as we move through verses 8 through 10, God's answer was that he was sending prophet. He would remind them of their travels from Egypt and how he had delivered them in grace. And it was a reminder of his caring works. And yet, in verse 10, it tells us, but you did not listen to me. Basically, Israel said, talk to the hand. They didn't want to hear God. They didn't want any part of God. And yet God was wooing them and reminding them, look, I've done all of these things for you. We don't want it. We don't care. Now, as we move through our scripture today, please I don't want to overlook the grace of God involved in this whole thing. He demonstrated his people, his grace, not on what they deserved or what they earned. It was straight up grace. They didn't want to talk to God. They didn't want to hear anything from him. And yet God was about to deliver them from this poverty situation, this decimated life of fear for over seven years. So please give your attention to the reading of our word as we read Judges 6 today. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in strength. You have 
and go in strength, the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest of the Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from the ephah of flour he made, a, made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he, bought, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Please, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah, and, uh, Ophrah of the Abizirites. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an almighty God and you truly are awesome. Blessing generation after generation. Drawing your people to you. Providing all that we need. Even if we refuse you, you are still there. Desiring a relationship with us. God, you are great. We praise you and thank you for all that you have done and all that you are. May your word bless our hearts this morning. Speak through me that we might hear your still small voice this morning and be eager to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I, I think I might have caught some of you when we said I was gonna, we were going to read Judges 6. You probably thought, oh, great, we're going to read the whole chapter. Sorry. Um, but do you ever doubt your abilities? Do you ever struggle with, man, I just don't know if I'm good enough with that? And I find it very reassuring when I read some of the accounts in here, especially of Gideon, reminds me of the importance of knowing who I am in Christ. First thing we must come to grips with to deal with fear is how we see ourselves, our perception. So let's look at Gideon's perception of himself. If you look in verse 13 and 15, we see a very humanistic, very limited picture of himself. That's how he viewed himself. One of the first questions that Gideon asks of God is one of doubt, right? If God is with us, if, hey, hey, if you are with us, why is all this happening? If you're truly with us, why are we in this mess? Now, remember, they were completely decimated. They were depressed. They were, they were not a nation working together by any means. 
God, if you are so powerful, why have you allowed Israel to suffer so much? Sound familiar? It's the same question that we have so many times. God, where are you? If you were truly with me, this would not be happening. Notice that encased in the question that Gideon has is a lack of acknowledgement of Israel's sin. Why are you doing this, God? Why are you letting us go through this? Our God is a holy God, and he will never, ever sit idly by and allow sin to continue in his people because he wants what's best for us, and what's best for us is himself. And he cannot be in the midst of sin. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Just like a parent. Have you ever noticed children that aren't disciplined? A lot of fun to be around, huh? We discipline children because we love them. We want what's best for them. God, our Father, is no different. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, chastening is evidence of God's hatred for sin and his love for his people. This is evidence that God loves us when he calls after us and says, hey, let's fix this, let's clean this up. Our perception oftentimes does not take into account the sin which must be dealt with. We'd rather not look at that. That's the ugly part. That's the tough part. Why is this happening to me, God? I thought you were with me. Why do I still hurt? Why do I still have to go through this? And sometimes we have a pity party without considering the reason behind the difficulties we may be experiencing. Sometimes issues arise in our life due to disobedience. Unconfessed sin interrupts our relationship with God. And God doesn't want that in our relationship. And as we'll find out, the beautiful thing is he's done everything possible to get rid of that. If we are refusing to listen to God's word and follow his direction, he will gently correct us out of love and compassion to bring us back to a right relationship with him. What an awesome God we serve. And this is where we are to run to God for forgiveness and change what we are doing to align with him. Now, not all of our perception is due to something sinful in our lives. Sometimes we simply don't look at ourselves through our father's eyes. We don't look at ourselves the way he sees us. Sometimes we're so down on ourselves that all we see is our inabilities or our terrible circumstances. Kind of the woe is me. When directed by the angel of the Lord to deliver Israel from the hands of the Midianites, what did Gideon do? He balked. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. And at first, Gideon doubted God's concern for his people, but then he moved to questioning God's wisdom in choosing him. Right? We see in verse 15, he says, Oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh. I'm the youngest in my father's house. Gideon considered his clan to be the least of his tribe and his family to be the least of his clan. Gideon felt that God could do nothing because he and his family were nothing. 
How often do we look at what we have or what type of person we are and doubt God's ability to use us? I know I do myself. Now, sometimes we'll say here in the worship center, yes, I believe God can do anything. But when we know God is calling us to serve in a particular place or in a particular time, we can balk. Just like Gideon. And that's the beauty of this account that God is showing us. Sometimes we might say, I'm too old or I'm too young to serve. I don't have enough money to do what he wants me to do. I have no education, so maybe I can't speak. I don't have those capabilities, so I'm not going to step forward. Now, it's, a hel- it's one thing to have a healthy understanding of our weaknesses. Okay, There's nothing wrong with that. We understand who we are. It's another to use those weaknesses as excuses to serve our God. But we see this over and over. I'm going to go take us back into Exodus with Moses. What does Moses say? But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Later on, he says, uh, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? So then God shows him all these signs and wonders. And what does Moses say? Well, you know what? I don't speak so well either. You can't use me. Now, before we pass judgment, Moses was scared. Gideon was scared. How do we react when we're scared? When we consider what God wants us to do in this life, how do we view ourselves? Do we look through our perception at our weaknesses? Notice when we focus on ourselves, we tend to look at our weaknesses, right? We don't look at those wonderful things that God has done in us and built in us. We tend to look at, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm not able to do this. I'm not as good as this person. Do we look at that or do we look at ourselves the way God sees us? And now we want to look at the divine perception. We looked at the human perception of us. Now let's look at how God sees us. Notice in verse 12, The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Are you kidding me? Are you serious here? Gideon is threshing wheat down in a wine press. Okay, so let's get the concept here. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press because it's usually down in a hole. It's kind of in a hovel. You thresh wheat up on the top of the hill because then the chaff has a way to be blown away by the wind. They would thresh wheat. But guess what? That was too obvious. So this, the fact that he's threshing wheat down in this vine, uh, wine press, down below ground level, we're going to be down here, speaks to the severity and desperation of keeping the crop, right? Because they're going to come in and take it. If they see me threshing wheat, they're going to come and take it by force. And I'm not going to have anything to feed my family. It speaks from hiding from the enemy. So he's down in this hidey hole, threshing wheat so nobody catches him. And God shows up and says, calls him a mighty warrior. That's not our vision here. I wouldn't call him a mighty warrior. It speaks to God's sense of humor. And I love this. You go back to Joshua. This is one of my favorite passages. And it says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. And no one went out. No one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king 
and its fighting men. All Joshua could see at the time was a large city behind immense walls, sealed up tight, ready for battle. And what does God say? I've given you the city. Um, God saw victory. God saw victory. All Gideon saw was a know-nothing member of a know-nothing family, poverty-stricken, who had to thresh their wheat in secret just to survive. But God saw a mighty warrior about to deliver the nation of Israel. So what's the difference in perception? Why do we have such a different perception of ourselves than how God sees us? I'll tell you why. Because we look through our weakness and limitations. He sees results and potential through his presence and his strength, not our weakness or shortcomings. We see this as Paul tells the 2 Corinthians 12. He says, but he said to me, this is Jesus speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Whose power? Was it Paul's power? No. It was Jesus Christ's power. That's where he's focused. Our weakness or personal issues are no issue for God, by the way. I just want to clear that up. They're no issue for God. God longs to work through us and sees what we can do and be despite our weaknesses. Do you honestly think that God calls you to something because of your abilities? Because you're that good? Yes, he gives you those abilities and he expects you to use them in service to him. But God commands on our lives and his commands on our lives are based on his abilities, not ours. Obedience is what he seeks not perfection. Let that sink in. Obedience is what he seeks, not perfection. Why? He already has perfection. He doesn't need that. He longs for obedience because it's what's best for us. Because he sees our potential through his divine power and influential presence. Now notice in verse 13, I thought it was very interesting that when Gideon introduced this idea, he says, Lord, uh, why is all this happening? Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this to happen? But notice God's answer. He did not answer his question. You ever notice that? A lot of times when, even when Jesus is speaking and they'll question Jesus about different things, he never necessarily answers the question, right? Because that's not necessarily what matters, Right? Instead, he simply commands Gideon to go and deliver Israel. But he does so with a promise. So here we come to our promise. We saw our perception. Now we're looking at, our, at the promise. Look at the end of verse 14. He says, am I not sending you? It's a matter of fact. It's a done deal, much like Joshua in the city of Jericho. Much like Moses when called to deliver Israel from Egypt. The promise is the reason for God's perception of us. His promise of his presence guarantees victory. Did you get that? His promise of his presence guarantees victory. 
Now, that may not be a victory we can see. Our, my, our life may be in shambles. But it is his victory when we are obedient. So let's look at God's presence as part of this promise. What is the first part? God states here, I will be with you. We see this promise throughout all of Scripture. In fact, at Christmas time, when Christ comes, one of the names of God is given to him is what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, was God's presence simply for the people to accomplish a particular task and then he removes his presence? Okay, I'm going to be with you and you go do your thing and then, and then I'm going to go over here and good luck with that and I'm going to... No, right? We see over and over that God delivering Israel despite their sin or despite their shortcomings. He is continually present with his people. And here's the key. The victory is in God's presence. The victory is in God's presence. Gideon was to take on the Midianites in victory, despite his stature, despite his position in society, despite the fact that Gideon himself doubted his own abilities. The point was not in Gideon's capabilities or even the lack thereof. The point was in abilities Gideon would have through the presence and power of God. That was the point. Now, God's promise is just as real today for the believer as it was for Gideon. Though you may not be called to deliver an entire nation, although sometimes I think our nation could use somebody in here to deliver us, right? Jesus tells us in Luke 18, he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And you can even combine those. What is impossible for man... Obviously, God is completely possible, but guess what? It's possible for man with God. Make sense? With his presence, it's possible. When we see walls of insurmountable hurdles, God sees victory. When we see limitations brought on by our own doubt or lack of abilities, God sees as challenges to rely on his presence. I love this chapter, John 17. If you ever get a chance to read a chapter in Scripture, please read John 17. It shows you the heart of Jesus Christ. Read through it multiple times. It's his prayer to the Father. And part of that prayer says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Notice, Jesus didn't pray that God would remove his disciples and us from the world. Because that, to me, would be the, the, the smart thing, right? Take them out. They're safer that way. No, what he says is, bring your presence and protect them while they're in the world. And he says at the end of Matthew, when he is leaving, Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, what? I am with you sometimes to the very end of the age. No? I am with you when you feel like it? No. I am with you always. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty inclusive statement. I am with you always. 
when you're at your lowest, when you're at your highest, when you're struggling, when you're having fun, I am with you always. We know the promise. We get jazzed by hearing about it. Our God is awesome, and indeed he is. But how will we respond when the fear creeps back in? When we walk out through the doors and we hear something terrible or we that bill comes through the mail or whatever it is. How will we perceive ourselves when we look in the mirror and not like what we see? Where is our confidence when we feel like a failure? Will we choose to trust in the promise of God's presence in our lives and know through Him that we are more than conquerors? More than conquerors? I think sometimes we walk around, our face is down, and I'm sad, and I'm frustrated, and yes, life can be difficult, but guess what? If you know Jesus Christ, if He is your Savior, you have hope, and that's something the world does not have. You have joy. It doesn't matter what happens here. We're just passing through, folks. This is not our home. We're just visiting. We have a job to do while we're visiting, but we're just visiting. Moving on. Much better things in store. So why should I be sad about this? This is a minor blip, a minor inconvenience in his power. So our confidence. Let's look at our confidence. Gideon's confidence was not 100% from the beginning. We see that. But he did recognize God's call in what he was to do. That's why he offered a sacrifice. He's saying, okay, I believe that you're God. You're telling me to do something here. It was an example of hospitality. It was honoring God's statement to him. And Gideon's resolve did not come until later, but we can have confidence from the minute we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. When we ask forgiveness for our sins and believe in our heart, that God raised him from the dead, what does it say? We are saved, right? Scripture tells us that God deposits his Holy Spirit in us at that very moment. Ephesians 1.13 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him, or excuse me, in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So guess what? In the Old Testament, when God showed up, what did he tell Moses to do? Take off his shoes, right? Because you're on holy ground. Why was, was the ground holy? I mean, was, why was the ground holy at that point? Because God's presence, Right? Where's God's presence now? In the believer. Guess what? You're holy. Not because of anything you did, but because of his presence. We can still wear shoes. It's okay. But we are holy in him. And we have confidence in God's working in our lives. And our confidence is based on his character, not our abilities. Praise God for that, because my abilities will fail every time. If Gideon or Moses or Joshua had attempted to accomplish the task that God called them to without God's strength, it would have been disastrous. Our confidence is based on the character of the one who made us the promise of his presence. 
and you can take that to the bank. God says, do not be, do not be afraid. Why? For I am with you. Okay? So notice, he doesn't ever say just rid yourself of fear. Just don't be afraid. Just don't do it. Well, just stop it. Just don't do it. That's not how God works. He always gives us a greater promise to hang on to. He always says, hey, I got this that's better for you. And he says, don't be afraid. Why? Don't just not be afraid. No, don't be afraid because I am with you. There's a reason for not being afraid. I'm with you. And if God of the universe is with us, really, do we have anything to fear? I mean, we hang on so tightly to this life and this, this stuff and this here. And I understand it's all we know right now. But he's saying, trust me, I am with you. There is nothing, nothing to be afraid of. Not to rid ourselves of our fear, but so that we will have the courage to face our fear in him. Fear's not going to go away, folks. I'm sorry. We're still going to be scared. Stuff's going to come up. We're going to be unsure. The unknown. Oh, I don't like it. I don't know. Do we move? Do we not? Do we, what do we do? Do I eat this? Do I not? Do I, should I exercise? No, I won't get into that. We have, we have these fears, right? They're not going to go away. Remember, Jesus said, don't take them out of the world. Leave them there, but be with them. Protect them. Bring your presence. And in his presence, it allows us to say yes to the things he asks us to do. Romans 8 tells us, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through what? Through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor Fred, nor myself, nor you, nor any powers, neither, I added that by the way, nor either powers, height nor depth, nor anything else, including yourself, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We read that and we say, oh, that's nice. That's a powerful statement. There is nothing that can separate us from his presence and from his love. Nothing. Not even ourselves. So our confidence should be displayed in our faith. And our faith is a demonstration of trust. And this is where we come to the purpose. Okay? Perception, promise, and now the purpose. To deal with fear, Gideon not only had to change his perspective trust and accept God's promise of his presence, but he had to display faith in God's direction. Proverbs 1.7 tells us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Gideon realized the importance of being in the presence of the Lord. He asked to bring God a sacrifice. He understood this. Angel of the Lord allowed it, confirmed a sacrifice by consuming it with fire. Okay, we got it. God told me to do this. Gideon's acknowledgement of his faith in the character of God was the next big step in this whole process of beating his fear of the circumstances. Now, our faith in the character and promises of God is the next step in getting over our fear. So the question is, who do you trust in? I, I'm sorry, too many times I trust in myself. Oh, I can do it. 
I trust in my paycheck. I trust in my bank account. It's all going away, folks. It could all go away like that. And it will eventually. When he returns, it's all gone. What do we trust in? Who are we trusting in? The Bible shows us very clearly when we trust in our own ideas, our own opinions, our own strength, we will fail. Period. Eventually. But if we trust in God's ways, His promises, His strength, we are already victors. Now, does that mean if we simply believe, then God will make the world a better place? That's all we have to do is just believe. Just sit in here and believe. That's all you just believe hard enough. No, sin continues to exist on this earth until God deals with, with it once and for all at the return of his son. We will experience hurt. We will experience difficulties from sin, sometimes from our own dumb choices. Sometimes it's just because that's how life is. It's broken. But nothing should shake us from our faith. Because our faith is in the one and only person who cannot be shaken, the God of the universe. Do we believe that? Yes, we do. We believe that. But James says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. What do you say? Do it. This is where the rubber meets the road, folks. This is where faith actually extends into reality. Our faith is only as good as the feet we put to it. Now, our faith is not based on the works. Please don't go down that road. But the works should be a result of our faith. It should be an offshoot, an offspring, whatever you want to call it. A natural demonstration of our faith. Gideon had to follow through with what God had told him to do. God saw him as a mighty warrior perched on the brink of delivering Israel. Gideon was promised God's presence and abilities to conquer the Midianites through God's strength. And Gideon believed it was God commanding him to do this. Now, what did he have to do? He had to get up out of the threshing floor, strap on his sword, and go do it. Now, many years before Gideon, we see another outstanding example of putting feet to faith. Somebody called Abram. Ever heard of him? God called him to leave everything he knew. Talk about fear factor. God called him to leave everything he knew, his country, the people, his comfort level, his job, whatever it was, leave it all and go to the land I'm going to show you. Oh, notice he didn't say go to this land. He said, go to the land I'm going to show you. Doesn't take a little bit of a... Yeah, step out. God promised Abram a land of abundance, but Abraham had to trust God enough to move there. I have this land for you, but you got to trust me and you got to get up and move. God promised Gideon delivery from the oppression of the entire nation, but he had to trust God enough to get up and do it and do what, took, what it took to do, to do that. Wearsby says here again, faith means obeying God in spite of what we see, how we feel, or what the consequences might be. We have the necessary tools to believe what God is telling us. We have been taught his truth accurately. Praise God for the accurate teaching that we receive and know that God calls us, and, he, and we even know what he calls us each to do, by the way. 
Now we must get up and put feet to our faith. In order to deal with our fear once and for all, we must step out in faith, trusting God at His Word and do what He tells us to do. And a lot of times we struggle. We say, well, God, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Anybody hear that statement? I don't know what God's will is for my life. I guarantee you, if you've been in God's Word, you know exactly His will for your life. His will for your life? I'll let you in on a little secret. It's, it's all in here, okay? His will for your life is to grow up in the likeness of Jesus Christ and then go and make disciples who will do the same thing. That's His will for your life. So what does that really look like? I mean, in practical terms, what am I supposed to do? Do I run a nursery? Do I park cars? Do I welcome people? What, what do I do? Feed the homeless? What? It, well, we work through difficulties in our life keeping an eye on God, for one thing. When faced with a decision, get the most wise counsel you can, godly wise counsel you can, and make the best decision you can. I don't know if you heard of the, the little uh, account here of the Gibeonites when they came to Israel. They came to the elders of Israel, and they said, and they, they lied to them, basically. They said, oh, yeah, we're, from, we're people from a long way away. We've traveled a long way. Would you please let us live and be your servants? And the elders didn't consult God. And they said, sure, why not? And if they had consulted the Lord, he would have said, no, this is part of the people group. You need to get out of the country. This is what I told you to do. But once they made their word, guess what? They kept it. It wasn't the right word, but they kept it, and God honored them for keeping their word to following after what they were supposed to do. Now, that doesn't mean that they didn't suffer from consequences of that choice for years to come. But we need to trust enough in God to do what He tells us. And I'll give you, I'll share a little personal experience that my wife and I went through that, and this is no strength to us or power to us, but we were, again, back in the time when we didn't have a lot of money, we were not tithing. We, we were not really walking close with the Lord. We didn't really know too much about tithing. And we were going through a series of sermons in our church about tithing. And we were like, well, we just don't have a lot of money. And so we thought, well, we'll start giving out of what's left at the end of the month. We'll just, whatever God gives us by the end of the month, we'll pay all our bills and make sure that, you know. And so we started doing that, and we never had anything at the end of the month to give. It was like, hmm, well, that's not working. And God really laid on our hearts. He said, trust me. You do know that that's one area that God actually came out and dared the Israelites to outgive him. He said, I dare you. Try to outgive me. So he said, okay, well, Lord, if you're truly calling us to do this, and I believe, and I, I to this day, our finance people, this, this math does not make sense. They always say never do math in public. I'm going to try to do math in public here, okay? So it, I believe it was June. It was a first part. Uh, we went through June, and we had so much money. We didn't have enough money to cover all our bills. We had bills left over with no money to pay. And we said, okay, Lord, we're going to trust you. So July, I think it was July 1st, we pulled a tithe out right off the top of what we were making. It wasn't much, a few bucks. I don't even remember what, how much it was. But we took it out of the very first paycheck, whatever it was. We're going to say, okay, God, we're going to trust you. 
in July, I kid you not, we had the same exact amount of bills as we had in June. We had the same amount of income that we had in June. We gave in July. Now, we didn't in June, and we had no money left over. In fact, there was bills extra. At the end of July, we had money left over. All the bills paid. To this day, I don't know how it happened. I do not, well, I do, God did it. We can trust in what he calls us to do. And by the way, we've never stopped since because it was like, well, okay, okay, this is serious. This is, he calls us to do things and then he gives us the power and the presence to do it. He's here in us. And oh, by the way, as we sang earlier, God never fails in his promises, ever, ever. So how do we deal with fear? First, we understand God's perception of us. Second, we trust in his promise and his character. And third, third, we step out in faith, trusting that he will fulfill his purpose in our lives, whatever that looks like. So I have to tell you, if you do not know Christ, if you do not know Jesus Christ as the Savior of your life, the Bible's very clear. We're all in this, this soup, this mess together. We have all sinned. We've all broken communion with God. We've all done it. But God, in His infinite wisdom, paid the debt for our sin because it tells us that the wages, we earned, we earned death, right? Wages of sin is death. But God says, I'll take care of that. I will absorb the debt by giving his son. And he gives us a free gift through his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that if we believe in what God did and raised him from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, he deposits his Holy Spirit in us, his presence is in us, and now we are his child. I would encourage you, if you do not, if you've never done that, do not leave here today without doing that. I can't implore you enough. We don't know what's around the corner. I do know one thing. There's a lot of fear outside that door. There's a lot of fear. But with him, we have the tools to deal with the fear. I'm not going to say the fear goes away, but we have the tools to walk in faith and in him and his presence. If you are a Christian, if you know the Lord, you can trust God's promise of his presence and get busy doing what it is that he's calling you to do. If he's calling you to serve in this church as a, I don't know, whatever God is leading you in your heart to do, Get busy doing it. Talk to the spiritual leaders in the church. Talk to Pastor John, Pastor Cal. Talk to the elders. Talk. Figure it out. Because God is with you, calling you to do it. You need to step out in faith and do it. This is the only way we eradicate that fear of the unknown, that fear that plagues all of us. 
So a couple of bits for building here. Just the fear of, I, I like this quote, the fear some, uh, to fear something is to give credence to its power over you. That's all it is. You're saying that that is more powerful than me. Healthy fear of God means he's more powerful than me. Guess what? He is. But I allow things here on earth that are passing away that have an end in, in sight to have control over me. And that's foolishness. Because I have the God of the universe in me. So immerse yourself in God's word. Learn his perception of you. I guarantee you, you will be floored. It is absolutely beautiful. God adores you. And he stands on the edge of heaven looking for ways to show his mercy and his grace and forgiveness. We have nothing to be ashamed to come before him and just be broken before him and allow him to run in our lives. Trust in his promise of his presence and step out in faith. God's will for your life is to grow in maturity and make disciples. And we have a great avenue in God's church right here to work through to do that. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are amazing. We have nothing to fear. Lord, we pray that you would remind us and encourage us in those times during the week and when it may be dark, when things are going sideways, that you are truly in control and that your presence is in us. We can forget so often, Lord. Forgive us. Please continue to remind us how you perceive us. It's such a joy. We thank you and praise you for your goodness, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.